Right. And it seemed to help Mr. Reagan. Uh, our lesson today is taken from the 25th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew. We are continuing to study the parables of Jesus. Actually, the parable which begins, uh, by the way, the chapter divisions and the verse divisions were not inspired. They were added by some priest who had the good sense to break it down so that we could find things more conveniently. But the uh, chapter uh, numbers and verse numbers are, are a technical device which had been very helpful. Uh, just like, you know, they talk about the dark ages, but one of the good things that happened in the dark ages was that uh, people started making books in, uh, in uh, codex form. Uh, that is, like this, bind the pages, and that revolutionized learning. Up until then, you had to unroll a scroll. And uh, so they weren't so dark after all. They also invented the steric, which revolutionized warfare. Uh, now then, uh, this, uh, the chapter divisions, though, don't always come at a good place, and the chapter division doesn't come at a good place here. So let me go back from uh, 2513 to 2445 and start there. I'm reading from Philip's translation. <laughs> Dr. Bell used to always tell a story about the Philip's translation. He, you know, he translated the books of the New Testament, the uh, 22 books that we have here, and he said that uh, uh, Philip's, when he completed the Old Testament, was going to call it Philip 66. <laughs> He'd have them all. You know that, Andy? <laughs> Who then is the faithful and sensible servant whom his master put in charge of his household to give the others their food at the proper time? Will he, well, he is fortunate if his master finds him doing that duty on his return. Believe me, he will promote him to look after all of his property. But if he should be a bad servant who says to himself, my master uh, takes his time about returning, and should begin to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, that servant's master will return suddenly and unexpectedly and will punish him severely and send him off to share the penalty of the unfaithful to his bitter sorrow and regret. In those days, the kingdom of heaven, now he's talking about the second coming. In those days, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps, and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were sensible and five were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. But the sensible ones brought their lamps and oil in their flasks as well. Then as the bridegroom was a very long time, they all grew drowsy and fell asleep. But in the middle of the night there came a shout, Wake up! Here comes the bridegroom. Out you go to meet him. Then up got all the bridesmaids and attended to their lamps. The foolish ones said to the sensible ones, Please give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Oh no, returned the sensible ones. There might not be enough for all of us. Better go to the oil shop and buy some for yourself. But while they had gone off to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and those bridesmaids who were ready went in with him for the festivities, and the door was shut behind them. Later on, the rest of the bridesmaids came and said, 
Oh, please, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you, I don't know you. So be on the alert, for you do not know the day or the time. Amen. May God bless to us an understanding of this part of his word. I have some friends who are very much into running and they keep up with statistics. And you may recall that Rogers won it uh, last year just as he did the year before that. It was the longest and the most uh, famous race in all of America, the Boston Marathon. It's 26 miles, 385 feet, 85 yards. But, year before, but last year, it was the closest in history. Running right behind Rogers and closing in fast on him was a man by the name of Jeff Wells. In fact, he was only 20 yards behind him. When suddenly, according to the tradition in Boston, seeing the apparent winner, the policemen, on their motorcycles and in one squad car, closed in behind the apparent winner, completely blocking off Jeff Wells as he was taking over first place. A motorcycle came in front of him, and he actually had to leap the motorcycle to try to keep and keep his footing, and ended up second. When they asked him how he felt about it later, how do you feel about the race? He said, and I quote, My one regret is that when I crossed the finish line, I had a lot more left in me that I hadn't used. I wish I had used it all. There's not a one of us here who doesn't have a lot more left in us than we are willing to use for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to use it all. What if he came today? Our confession of faith, our Apostles' Creed, the hymns of our church, the plain teachings of Jesus, all tell us that Jesus Christ is coming again. It used to be that it was the preachers who talked about hell and fire and brimstone. You know who talks about it now? The nuclear physicists, the cosmologists who study the earth. There was more talk about it when Mount St. Helens blew up last year than any time in a long time because we seem to be awed by the catastrophic forces that nature could unleash upon us. And we realized that man is not so big after all. Maybe that's one of the greatest things that came from the moonshot. That when we had people who were way out there, they could turn their television camera around and see the little planet Earth, a lovely planet which the Lord means for us to live upon and to use to his own glory. But he has promised to come back again. He came the first time, and he's coming back to claim his own. He's coming back to call them unto himself. And so it was only natural that in the last week of his life he should begin to speak about this to his disciples. When he had gone into the city of Jerusalem, and was preparing to leave this world, he began to give them instructions that had to do with alertness and had to do with wisdom and vigilance, which should be ours. 
and he wanted us to be prepared. The story which has been read, which Jesus told, must have come from his own experience in life. You see, the Lord Jesus had the most wonderful way of watching uh, things take place. And in everything that he saw, he could see some spiritual meaning that God was seeking to convey. Perhaps he saw a, a servant who was bad, and when his master was away, he abused the other servants and lorded it all over them. But he didn't know that one day his master would come back and catch him at this, and that he would be dismissed miserably from his job because of that. And so the lesson there was be prepared. Be about your master's business with seriousness. The church takes the great word of God and curls it up like so many papers that you wrap fish in and won't use it when it's like sticks of dynamite. If we really believe that Jesus Christ is coming again, if we really believe that if this heart of mine which has been operated on should cease to beat today and I fell dead right here, that I would suddenly be thrust into the presence of Almighty God to give an account of what I had done with my time and days and money. How different would my life be? How different would your life be? Is this just a pack of fairy tales? Is it just a pink tea and cookie society for a bunch of pale old ladies and preachers to get together and talk about? Or is this really true? Did God Almighty invade this planet? Did he really allow, allow his son to teach us his truth and to go to the cross and die and then to bring him back from the dead with the promise that he would come again? In the book of Acts, when his own disciples came to him and thought about their own little local area, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still wanted to get rid of the Romans. Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time when the kingdom is coming. But he commanded them that the gospel should be preached in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That they were to break out of their own little circle, out of their own little tribe, and that they were to go to the far ends of the earth taking the saving message. This is the faith by which we are to live, and the faith in which we hope to die when he either calls us unto himself or when he comes back to call his own. And Jesus, I think, must have watched a wedding. And uh, I've been in India where weddings are similar to this. And I got to go one time with the Bishop of South India to a wedding. It's quite an interesting thing. Uh, the, you know, we sometimes say uh, that a man is going to take unto himself a wife. Uh, well, the Arabs take that kind of literally. They go and take them a wife. Uh, they go to the house where the uh, bride lives and uh, they knock on the door and they take her uh, back to the house where the bride and groom will live. And uh, so when they go to take their bride and bring them back to the house again, uh, to the house where they're going to live, of course all this is negotiated and worked out ahead of time. I'll never forget reading one ad for a wife in India. It... Uh, you know, they, they advertise, and they tell you how many degrees they've got if they've graduated from college and uh, what they look like and what sort of health they're in. And um, uh, one guy had an ad uh, describing himself as very handsome and healthy and uh, young, 
and saying that he wished to marry um, uh, someone who had never been married, a maiden, um, who was, a, who was uh, approximately of the same education and who had an interest in farming and who owned a tractor. And he had a, <laughs> and he had a PS, please send a picture of the tractor. <laughs> so the, the customs vary. Well, here they go over to get uh, the bride, uh, and uh, uh, the bridegroom is going to come back to the bridegroom's house, and uh, the big festivities will begin. And back then, when they didn't have any entertainments much, this was a great feast, and it took place for a whole week long, and it was greatly looked forward to in the little rural communities, and so they were... Uh, all excited, they knew that the wedding was going to take place and that the bridegroom would come. They knew that was going to happen. Just like we know Jesus Christ is going to come back again. If you can either, there is no capacity for language to convey thought or Jesus Christ is, is coming back again. This is what he said. And the whole pell-mell Rush of history points to his coming. He will come back again. He said it. He's coming again. Okay. Uh, the bridesmaids were to be ready when the bridegroom came so that the festivities would begin. And this was a big event. And there were five who were wise. They took enough oil so that if he was a long time in coming, and their lamps went out, they could retrim their lamps and put them up on their stick and where he and the bride would be there at his home. And they were looking forward to his coming. So, so all ten of them, there are ten, ten is a big number in scripture. Uh, uh, there, are, there are ten of them, ten wise, ten foolish. The, the ten wise had taken extra oil, the ten foolish did not take extra oil. And so, as he was long in coming, the ten foolish, uh, all ten of them got sleepy and drowsy. But the ten foolish, when they heard the shout, and uh, you hear that shout, Behold the bridegroom coming. And everyone wakes up all psyched up for that moment. They jump up real quick and start to trim their lamps. Well, the five wives who had brought extra oil were able to put it in their lamps so that they burned brightly and they could hold them up. And the five foolish who were caught unprepared and did not have oil came to the five wise ones and they said, give us some of your oil. Give us some of your oil. And the five wise said, we cannot give you our oil lest our own lamps may go out. You'll have to go to the man who sells oil and bang on the door and see if you can get him up at midnight to sell you some oil. And so they went to try to buy oil, but when they got back, the door was shut and the festivities were already begun. And they pounded on the door and said, sir, let us in. And he said, no, the door is shut. They had missed their great opportunity. Now, what does this teach us, and what do we want to see here? We, there is a certainty that Jesus is coming again. There is an uncertainty about the hour. 
He has told us to be prepared. There are two big things that, we, that I can get across very quickly to you. There are some things that cannot be borrowed. They couldn't borrow oil when they wanted it. And you cannot borrow saving faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that. That's something that must come between you and God. You cannot borrow saving faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know how many business people I've known over the years who, when I've tried to talk to them about faith in Jesus, have said to me, well, I hold my religion in my wife's name. You may hold your religion in hell, but you can't get to heaven on your wife's religion. You must have your own relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot borrow saving faith. You cannot borrow saving faith. The young man who was baptized in infancy this morning had a faith. His mother had a faith and prayed for him in infancy that one day he would come to faith of his own accord. God heard her prayer. And that young man had to respond and make his own decision for Jesus Christ to be the Lord and master of his life. And you have to make your own decision for him too. And if you haven't, you're not going to be ready when he comes back. And if you're not ready when he comes back, then you have to face the judgment. I grew up out in Texas under some pretty good country preaching. And I remember one old country preacher, he had a famous sermon. Hell's hot, heaven is sweet, judgment is certain, and eternity is long. And as the years have gone by and I've muddled through all the theological schools that I've had to go through, I can still remember what that man preached. Made a lot of sense. Still does. Still does. It changes your way of living, too. It's not an option. It's not a cafeteria line where you go through and pick out what you want and leave the rest. But it means that you give it all to the Lord. All belongs to him. There are things that cannot be borrowed. Faith cannot be borrowed. Character cannot be borrowed. This is one of the important things that I try to get across, especially to young people here, is that people are watching the development of your character. Your faith in Jesus Christ will determine what kind of character you have. Your obedience to him. You can't fake it with him. He sees all the way through you. And he knows all about you. And you can't fake it with him. You have to be honest with him. And when you're honest with him, he works on you. And he makes you into what you ought to be. How many of you, you do any of you, I'll see how old the people are here. Who know who Phil Keggy is? Look at the hands go up. Now all you old folks look around. <laughs> Phil Keggy has a song called Sorry. Did you ever hear him sing? Here's a story of ten virgins who went out to meet the groom. Five of them were, fily, were foolish, though their beauty was in bloom. They took no oil with their lamps to see them through the night. They thought they'd be all right and ready. The other five were very wise and made provision for the night. They carried extra oil. Their lamps were burning bright. 
The, then one by one they fell asleep. The bridegroom had delayed. Then there came a messenger who said, He's coming, his waiting bride to take. He's coming, the choice is yours to make. Come and greet him, he'll soon be at the gate. Will you meet him before you've realized that it's too late? They all arose and trimmed their lamps, knowing they would soon see him. The foolish then discovered that their lamps were growing dim. Share with us your oil, we've run out of our supply. Then the wise would answer them and cry, we're so sorry, that's not enough to take. So sorry, the choice was yours to make. Now go hurry, he'll soon be at the gate. Now you worry, although you knew that it was getting late. While they went to make the purchase, that was when the bridegroom came. The ready ones went with him to the feast and wore his name. The others then returned and said, Lord, let us come in too. But he answered, I do not know you. They were sorry. Don't make the same mistake. So sorry, the, char the choice is yours to make. Come and greet him. He'll soon be at the gate. Will you meet him? before you've realized that it's too late. You know, I'm inspired by our young people. They take faith in Jesus Christ a whole lot more seriously than a lot of people who are older. I see in the congregation some who are sick and some are sad, some who have never loved Jesus well and some who've lost the love they had. I see some who have been faithful down through the years to him, some who are growing in their faith, and some who want to grow, and he receives those. But I'll tell you, the young people today are speaking to us about taking Jesus seriously. Elton Trueblood told me once when he was staying here in Montreal, he said, in the future, you're going to find in the church a great shaking out. You're going to find that denominational stuff doesn't matter much anymore. You're going to find that what really counts is faith in Jesus Christ. You'll, you will perhaps see fewer Christians, but you will see better Christians because they will be more honest with their faith in him. Now then, what if he should come today? And what should be our attitude about his coming? And this, with this I close. I'll go all the way from Phil Keggy to John Greenleaf Whittier. In 1780, there was a great dark day that came over this section, the north uh, part of our America. It's called the Great Dark Day and it's recorded in all the history books. And people were terribly afraid in 1780 when that Great Dark Day came. The chickens were going to roost in the middle of the day. The uh, uh, cattle were lowing. Uh, everything was changed and people thought, well, this may be the day that the Lord returns. He's coming back today. And in Connecticut, in the State House, they were meeting in their legislative body and darkness suddenly came over everything. And they said, what shall we do? And some jumped up and said, let's adjourn. Let's adjourn because it's the second coming. The Lord is coming back. There was a wise old man by the name of Abraham Davenport who was a senator in the state house. He rose and slow cleaving with his steady voice the intolerable hush.
This well may be the day of judgment which the world awaits. Be it so or not, I only know my present duty and my Lord's command to occupy till he come. So at the post where he hath set me in his providence, I choose for one to meet him face to face. No faithless servant frightened from my task, but ready when the Lord of the harvest calls. And therefore with all reverence, I would say, let God do his work. We will see to ours. Bring in the candles. And they brought them in. That's good advice. Let's stand in prayer. We will omit the last hymn. Our Heavenly Father, there may be some person here today who has never yet made their peace with you. The word is plain. You have said, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And so any person here right now can ask Jesus to come into their heart. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will enable them to do this. And God, for those who half believe or think they believe and don't know what they believe, give them enough integrity to read and to study your word and to write their relationship with you, to get in or get out. Work in their hearts your grace. We pray, Father, that you will also work in all of us so that to the task to which Jesus has called us, we will be faithful. So that if he comes back today, we will be doing that which will honor him and he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, now and forevermore.